0: Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True
1: North. Coming up, Canadian politicians are tweaking around and fiddling around with restrictions, easing them ever so gradually. But when are the vaccine passports going away? When are the masks going away? We'll talk about the lack of a pandemic exit strategy, plus Patrick Brown swings by. You don't want to miss this.
0: Lawton Show starts right now.
1: Hello, and welcome to a rare weekend edition of the Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. It is Saturday, January twenty second, two thousand twenty two. What is that? 01222022. No, I'm not having a stroke. I'm just trying to remember. I thought when I said the date that twenty two twenty two would be more interesting. Than it ended up being basically I'm at the point now that we are only 22 days into this year and I've already had enough of it. I don't want to say I want to go back to the old year because 2021 wasn't all that better. I want to go back a couple of years to 2019. Although I feel as the politicians are telling us the old normal is never coming back. They're not saying it like that, but they as might as well be and we'll talk exactly about why that is in the coming episode here. Later on in the show, however, we do have one of the politicians who's going the other direction with it, Patrick Brown, the mayor of Brampton, Ontario, who's been basically saying it's time to have a science-based approach. The science is saying reopen. Why are we not reopening? It's a nice little sequel to our interview the other day with Irvin Student, who's heading a committee that's basically laying out the roadmap. The government says it wants to follow the science. Great. Here are scientists talking about all the ways you could quite easily and safely reopen. I'm going to talk in this show, I'm going to try to weave a bunch of different things that are happening together in this show because I want to talk about the bigger picture and stop looking at individual stories and individual restrictions in a bit of a silo, which tends to be uh, the pattern that I think a lot of media coverage takes without paying attention to how a lot of these things are interconnected. But first, I have to just point out on a somewhat amusing note, I had an email from uh, one viewer and listener, Amy from VNA, who said, you know, I used to like when you did videos back in the day in front of a, a bookshelf. And she said, you know, it made you look smart like you had read them. And then I was like, I was at first like, oh, wow, thank you. And then I'm like, wait, so you're saying I look dumb doing the show now without the books. I don't think that was her intent. And then as it just so happened, as it just so happened, I got a bunch of books that I'm working through uh, for a, a project I'm working on unrelated to the show, but you'll certainly get drips and drabs of it about uh, Canadian foreign policy and I had a bunch of books and I just had them on my desk and I was about to move them out of the shot and then I realized no 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 just because someone said books made me look smarter I won't Uh, however I haven't read any of these yet I had like the stack was up there and I've gotten like only down there And I still have to get, you know, all the way down. And there's another stack behind that one that you can't see, by the way. So uh, if it makes me look smarter, I will take it. I don't... Maybe I I should make this a running gag, actually, and just every episode see where the pile is and eventually... I'll be reading more and more books and the pile will get down and but then I'll add more to it. That's the problem with this thing. It's like the pile started here over Christmas and then I was down here and then up and just just uh, basically it's like lockdowns now where just when you think you're chipping away at them, they heap more restrictions on top of it. One of the reasons this week is a little bit uh, jumbled as far as when we're doing the shows is because I was in Florida last weekend and I'm not okay. Just bear with me here because what I'm telling you is going to sound like a complaint, but I realize that you'll all want to just kick me in the face if I complain about being stranded in Florida because I realize that the word stranded does not apply to a free, warm province. I was supposed to come back or state. No, we we have not annexed uh, Florida just yet. I was in Florida for a conference, believe it or not, And I was supposed to come back on Monday. And if you live in Ontario or Quebec, you'll no doubt be aware that Monday was just absolutely crazy for uh, the weather. So there were a bunch of flight cancellations. And my flight on Monday was kicked back to Tuesday. And I was like, oh, shucks, you know, another day in Miami. But I came back Tuesday and then I was supposed to be back like, you know, mid afternoon or so. And then my flight from Toronto to London, Ontario, which is a two hour drive and a 22 minute flight was delayed, delayed, delayed. And at a certain point I could have driven from Toronto to London and back to Toronto, I think like three or four times before they finally canceled the flight. And it was at like 11 PM and I was in Toronto and they're like, well, we can get you back on a flight uh, tomorrow that leaves at 5 PM. So at which point it would have taken me, you know, 27 hours to go two hours. So I'm like, you know what, I'll make my own arrangements. So it ended up just messing up the the show schedule because I wasn't back when I was supposed to be. But I appreciate your patience and your concern. And I should say about Florida, it's become synonymous with freedom now which is quite interesting. And I've got to give major kudos to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, not just for a lot of the pandemic policies, but for rebranding Florida because it used to always be that if you were a conservative, Texas was the place to be. Texas was like the utopia for conservatives. And I mean, there are other states as well. Like if you ever meet someone, I, I met someone once at the Republican convention from Wyoming, and I met a couple of people actually, and the Wyoming delegates pride themselves on being from the most conservative state in the country, because I think like there's not a single Democrat in Wyoming. So they take great pride in that there. But Florida in the last two years has rebranded itself and it's become the place to be if you want to escape a big government, totalitarian, mask mandates, vaccine passport regimes, all of these things. And without a doubt, I'd say probably 30% of the people I met in Miami, and this is just one city that I was in for a few days, were from Canada. And a lot of them had brought their children down there to escape the lockdowns and the school closures in Ontario and Quebec. And again, I mean, obviously, this is not something that everyone can do. Some people can't board planes. Some people, it's very costly to deal with the PCR testing if you travel to get back. I I get all that. I'm not trying to be insensitive here. But there were a lot of people that I met down there that were all just like-minded. They've basically made this pilgrimage to Florida because they wanted to be in a free place. And when I was on hold with Air Canada trying to rebook all the flight stuff to get back, there was a moment where I'm like, why am I fighting? Why Why am I arguing with someone about like trying to get home as soon as possible? I have a life here. I do like it here, believe it or not. But uh, to come back to not just a freezing cold, uh, snowstorm ridden province, but also a province that is still in lockdown was a lot less than ideal. But I mentioned earlier the bigger picture and I, I want to talk about a little bit of this because on Wednesday, we had from Prime Minister Boris Johnson in the United Kingdom, the announcement that all restrictions are basically lifted. There's no mask mandate. There's no vaccine passed. There aren't going to be these restrictions. No one's being told to work from home. And a lot of people around the world, including in Canada, have been saying, yeah, Doug Ford, uh, Jason Kenney, Francois Legault, John Horgan, why can't you be more like Boris Johnson? Why can't you do that here? And the point I made on the last show is that we shouldn't be heaping praise on someone for doing what should have been a given and should have been done months ago. But nevertheless, I want to talk about how quickly things change, because that was the story of the day on Wednesday. On Thursday... Austria's parliament enacts the much vaunted vaccine mandate that I've talked about on the show since I think November or maybe early December. They they passed that and it was shameful. Just one party, and this is in Europe, so they have a whole bunch of parties represented in the legislature. Just one party, the Freedom Party, had its members of the parliament vote no on that. Just one. 137 voted for it, 33 voted against it. History will look very favorably upon the 33 and very unkindly on the 137. And it used to be that countries that had experienced oppression Especially you'd see this in former bloc countries, countries that were under communist rule before the collapse of the Soviet Union, would in their free era have a yearning for freedom and a dedication to freedom that was superior to anything you'd see in the United States or Canada or the United Kingdom. Because it was recent memory for these people living in a country that was unfree. And Austria, we're not talking about a communist country in Austria, but we're talking about a country that has certainly lived under oppression and has lived under the Nazis, for crying out loud. And while we get further and further removed from that history, I find it quite shameful how the Austrian population has forgotten that. This population that should be, because of its national DNA, more averse to any sort of heavy-handed government approach like this, is welcoming it. And Germany, Germany is welcoming it as well. This is so disgusting. So Germany has this uh, member, and I I don't want to butcher the translation, but basically it's the person responsible for the office of protecting the constitution. That's some job there. And again, I'm not translating it literally, but it's the office of uh, protecting the constitution. And the politician who runs that had the gall to say that those who are protesting vaccine mandates are enemies of the state. Enemies of the state. So we talked about Justin Trudeau in September calling uh, unvaccinated people or anti-vaxxers racist and misogynist. In in Germany, they're going beyond that. You are enemies of the state. If you're standing up against a vaccine mandate, which is something that Germany is mulling, like uh, as as we see in Austria, they're going ahead with it, like we've seen in other places like Greece and so on. And Quebec, basically. Their, Their program is essentially a vaccine mandate by another name. So all of this is connected to each other because right now, and again, I'm not talking about global coordination. I'm not talking about the shadowy cabal of world leaders hiding out in the mountains because Davos was canceled this year. No, I'm talking about just an ideology that is becoming far more pervasive. I don't believe there's a conspiracy here. I just believe this is the ideology that's dominating in places like Canada, in places like Western Europe and Central Europe and elsewhere in, in supposedly free societies. The point I've made a few weeks ago that, that actually I think bears repeating is that when governments have failed so hard, which they have when it comes to pandemic response, they have to find someone else to blame. So this narrative that we hear, and by the way, it's not limited to Canada of the pandemic of the unvaccinated, is a term that starts driving a wedge between the unvaccinated and the vaccinated citizens of any country and of the world. And it starts to drive a wedge that makes these two groups not like each other all that much. And it does seem very deliberate that as people finally start to wake up to the fact that, hey, perhaps these government policies and government science tables haven't been doing all the things they're supposed to do, perhaps all of that stuff uh, being what it is, Maybe we shouldn't trust these people, so they have to start blaming someone else, and they're choosing as their enemy, the unvaccinated which is a term that, by the way, doesn't even mean what it used to mean. Being unvaccinated used to be, okay, you haven't had two shots of COVID. Uh, Then it's, well, I mean, Quebec, you're unvaccinated if you haven't had three shots. And in some places, you're unvaccinated if you are fully vaccinated, but you happen to support uh, people saying, yeah, maybe freedom's a good thing. If you oppose mandatory vaccination, you're just a a dirty, stinking, rotten anti-vaxxer like the rest of them. That's the direction we're headed here. And the reason I don't feel we're seeing an end to it is because no one is prepared to say when the end is going to come. So not only did we have on Thursday, Austria go the route it did, but we also had on Thursday, Ontario announce its supposed gradual, cautious, uh, you know, tiptoeing, just, you know, dipping the toe in the water reopening plan. And they talked about how the next two months is going to have a series of rolling back A series of rollbacks of these restrictions. Oh, you can go from, you know, five people in your house to 10 to 20, and then we'll have uh, restaurants reopen to 50% capacity. And again, do not give them any credit for this. Do not cheer for them. Do not say, oh, thank you, dear leader, for letting me go into a restaurant at 50% capacity, especially if you talk to some of the restaurateurs who are trying to make back all their lost revenue when they can't fill the restaurant up to 100%. But I digress. Don't thank them for this is the important point here. But I think beyond that, you look to the end of it. You look to the end of the Ontario government's roadmap. And this is what it says. Effective March 14th, 2022, lifting capacity limits in all indoor public settings. Proof of vaccination will be maintained in existing settings in addition to other regular measures. Lifting remaining capacity limits on religious services, rites or ceremonies. Increased social gathering limits to 50 people indoors with no limits for outdoor gatherings. Now you may think, okay, this is one step on this roadmap to reopening. What happens next? Nothing. This was the end of it. I thought, oh, maybe the page isn't loading for me. Surely there's got to be something below here. What happens on, you know, March 28th There's something? No, nothing. This is the end of it. This is the end of the reopening plan as it's been presented to Ontarians now. So there are still going to be restrictions in place. And more importantly, there are going to be vaccine passports and mask mandates in place. So in Ontario, there is no roadmap to getting rid of vaccine passports and getting rid of mask mandates, which I I think are both the most intrusive on a day-to-day basis. And again, if your business is being shut down or restricted to such an extent that you can't make a living, that's very much intrusive to you. I'm I'm not diminishing that at all. But to the average person on a day-to-day basis being forced to wear a mask pretty much anywhere and being forced to be vaccinated if you want to engage in civil society, those are the most intrusive measures. And there's no end in sight for those. There is no end in sight. And and just to give a little bit of contrast here, this was the last roadmap that Ontario laid out. And I want to draw attention to two dates in particular. One is January 17th. So that was five days ago. The vaccine passport was supposed to lift at restaurants, sports and recreational facilities, casinos, bingo halls. So you are supposed to be able to go to the gym, go to the casino and then go to dinner without your vaccine passport by January 17th, 2022. Uh, If you wanted to go to a nightclub or a strip club or a sex club, well, you would have had to wait a couple extra weeks, but by February 7th, you would have been able to do that. And by March 28th, all remaining public health and workplace safety measures lifted, including masking. So that was supposed to be March 28th, 2022. The latest guidance says we're still going to have a vaccine passport in March. We're still going to have masks in March and no prediction on when it will be or even what the process will look like. What are the metrics? How few people have to be in a hospital? How few cases do there have to be before governments will start talking about that? And the lack of communication on this has been absolutely abysmal. I want to turn to Alberta because Jason Kenney, he gave on Wednesday, or no, he gave on Thursday night a COVID update as well. And he talked about things that Alberta's doing to improve healthcare capacity. But the same thing comes up. What is the exit strategy? What is the exit strategy? And in Alberta, he doesn't have one. Take a look.
2: Good afternoon, Premier. You uh, raised, uh, I think, a very important question and and answered it earlier about how long we will be saddled with restrictions, but I'm hoping to get a bit more detail from you than than just very soon for lifting them. We had in Ontario, for example, a a roadmap updated today that has by March still no uh, revocation of mask mandates, no revocation of vaccine passports.
0: Realistically,
2: how long are you prepared to keep those two things in place in Alberta And uh, to get more specific with it, what are the metrics that you'll use to inform when to lift those? Well, we
0: won't consider uh, lifting the current measures uh, until we see uh, a sustained decline in pressure on hospitalization. That would follow a sustained decline in new cases, of course. So, um, you know, I, I, I think it would be fair to say, Andrew, that if we expect to see hospitalizations peak towards the end of this month, beginning of February, uh, that uh, we need to see sustained decline in that hospital pressure before we could move forward uh, with considering relaxation of measures uh, prudently. Look, I I would just point out, Andrew, that Alberta, uh, like much of Western Canada, has maintained uh, much less severe restrictions than uh, parts of Central and Eastern Canada. Uh, and yet, uh, we have so far been less severely impacted by Omicron. Uh, there may be a lot of reasons for that. We had bigger delta wave here that may have created more uh, people with, uh, with uh, immunity from prior infection. There may be a lot of reasons for it. Uh, but uh, what I can tell you is I am eager. I am eager uh, for us to be able to uh, st- uh, stop some of these incredible intrusions in uh, people's lives, Um, and increasingly, I think that the data we're seeing around the world, uh, points hopefully to the ability to do that, but, uh, we've got to stick to our knitting right now. Uh, we are at our, you know, we are expecting probably a few hundred more people in our hospitals with COVID. So it's too early for us, uh, to plan for relaxation of measures at this point.
1: So yes, Jason Kenney, premier of Alberta concedes that these measures are intrusive, concedes that people want them gone, but it's too early to say when that will be. And as you noted, part of my question was, what will the metrics be? All we got was the general, well, we need to make sure that downward pressure is sustained in the healthcare system and all of that. But that's all we get. That's all we get. So there is no end in sight. And this is true of pretty much every province in the country. Scott Mowen, Saskatchewan has been better as of late at resisting mandates. But even so, we still don't have... The exit strategy that we need on when we will get out of these measures, when we will be able to shed these intrusions, as Jason Kenney rightfully calls them. Now, in Saskatchewan, their mask mandate and vaccine passport is on the books until February 28th. It's possible they don't renew it, but there's been no guidance given as to when that will go away. So if you're a Canadian right now, you should be asking your politicians, what is the exit strategy? If you aren't going to give me a precise date, that's fine. But what can you tell me about what will inform that? And that's how we get it out of this dichotomy of we're open, we're closed, we're open, we're closed. We have to say, what are the science going to be? Because again, earlier on in the pandemic, I lose track of which lockdowns were which, but we had a pretty clear guidance of when cases go to this level, we'll do this. When they go to this level, we'll do this. And you can haggle over whether it was right, but at least it was clear. At least it was transparent. Now there's none of that. Now it's all just at the mercy of the political class. And I said I was going to tie this all together. And here's why I think the permanence is an important dimension of this. I don't speak German, but I had a friend who does uh, help me out with this. And I ran it through a couple of translation programs just to make sure I got it right. The Austrian government's legislation on this has the vaccine mandate in effect until January of 2024. That is two years from now. Their vaccine mandate is in effect for the next two years, which means that if the government extends to four doses, five doses, whatever the case may be in that time, you will be in Austria unvaccinated unless you've gone along with that for the next two years. Now, they could revoke it, of course, but government is not in the business of taking away its own power, as we've seen in the last two years. So why this is so important, if it's not self-evident, is that governments are giving themselves regimes that will outlive the COVID pandemic. And in the Austrian bill, and not in the bill, but it's in the commentary, the text accompanying the bill, they say, well, even if the World Health Organization, this is true, even if they declare the pandemic is over, There could still be a a situation in Australia where in Austria, rather, where there's an epidemic. So even if there's no global pandemic, we could still have an issue here. So that's why we need to keep this on the books until 2024 for two years, two, literally two years to flatten the curve. And their whole thing is they want to keep getting their vaccine uptake increase and increase. And there's been virtually no political opposition, just one party in Austria. And we actually have a, an invitation outstanding to the leader of that party, because I, I want to talk to the Austri- Austrian Freedom Party. Uh, if I've said Australia, I apologize, but it's just they're so easy to mix up, especially as of late. They're they're easy to mix up phonetically and also in terms of the way they're running the show insofar as pandemic response is concerned. But Austria, we've reached out to the leader of the Austrian Freedom Party to see if he'll come on. Because again, they're carrying the weight of freedom-loving people right now for Europe in a way that no one else is. And I think we should be all the more grateful that they are. And I think be asking, where are the other politicians doing the same thing? So when we see this on the books, it makes us question all of these other measures that we've been told are temporary. I mean, the old joke about the income tax in Canada being a temporary war measure act, these are jokes but they're rooted in a fundamental truth, which is the governments are not in the business of dismantling institutions they've created. They're not in the business of breaking apart regimes they've created. It's not surprising to me that someone might next year say that the vaccine passport is going to be revived if it's even gone away to include the flu shot. All of these things that you'd say that people would say, ah, it's a conspiracy theory. In Austria, they're mandating vaccination. No one ever gets to call anything a conspiracy theory ever again related to the pandemic when this is happening in a Western liberal country. No, you you don't get to call anything a conspiracy theory when this is happening. When Quebec is proceeding with fining people for their personal health decisions for not being vaccinated, no one gets to say that something is off the table. Because things that are previously off the table are mysteriously finding their way back onto the table. And that was at that Jason Kenney press conference, another question I raised. Because Jason Kenney has been, to his credit, very clear that he does not want to go anywhere near what Quebec is doing. At the same time, he was also unequivocal about vaccine passports. So how do you square those two? That was what I asked him
2: i do you've been very clear premier that you uh, will not advance a vaccine mandate you've been very critical of the uh, quebec government's uh, attempt to exact a health contribution as they call it a fine on the unvaccinated yet you were also unequivocal when it came to criticizing the idea of vaccine passports before uh, you implemented those in alberta so where's the accountability measure to ensure that if things don't get bad this may not be something that is on the table in alberta Fair question. I would point out that
0: every uh, premier, including the prime minister, were opposed to proof of vaccination requirements in the spring. Uh, our collective experience on Delta uh, hit us hard. And, and for us, the alternative to shutting down businesses was um, a proof of vaccination program. I, um, uh, When it comes to the Quebec policy, I spoke very bluntly about that last week. Uh, I would just point out, uh, Andrew, that this our government, through the legislature last year, repealed the uh, power for the government to force mandatory vaccination on people, and that's a power that had been in the law since I gather 1910. So we took that out of the law. We no longer have no longer have the power. Should any government in the future want to, God forbid, to um, take away people's bodily autonomy in that way? Uh, in terms of that, the healthcare levy or whatever Quebec is calling it. Um, Again, I just think this is, um, what, what, what can I tell you? Uh, I'd be happy to propose a law in the legislature this spring to say that this is not uh, legally possible in Alberta. I, uh, it, it, To me, um, the, the idea of sending people a bill effectively, even if it's indirectly doing that for their health care, is a total violation of the universality of our public, publicly funded system. And, you know, when we have people who make bad life choices, who, um, when we have people with uh, drug addictions who show up in the emergency ward frequently, we don't ask for their credit card, we don't send them a bill, we do the compassionate thing, we don't judge them, we care for them. When a drunk driver shows up at the hospital, uh, the same thing. When, uh, you know, a, uh, a a criminal gets... Uh, into a fight and gets injured they show up at the hospital we don't judge them because of the choices they made we care for them that's the canadian system that's certainly the alberta system and uh, as long as uh, this government's an opposite will continue to be
1: so again he's giving a level of clarity that i appreciate but i i do not let my guard down and that's not a slight at jason I, i don't let my guard down for anyone at this point as i've often remarked yesterday's conspiracy theory is today's public policy so there needs to be an accountability measure here that politicians are not going to if they're facing the next variant. I, what's the next one? Is the next one tau or rho? I get the, the Greek letters mixed up. Maybe it's phi or pi. Who knows? Then I think it's the pi variant. The pi va- I've actually been waiting for the pi variant because it's like the most delicious one. Uh, you lose your sense of taste and smell with all the other variants, but with the pi variant, everything just smells like a pumpkin or cherry, depending on which strain you get. So uh, the pi variant will be, will be great when it comes along, but whatever the next variant is you don't want politicians starting to go the same road that they went down with Omicron, which is this baseless panicking and reimposing restrictions, increasing restrictions, all because the doctors that have been wrong on a lot of other things are telling them they've got to lock stuff down again. So that's the fear here. That's the fear is that all of these times we've been told we're out of the woods, we end up having to somehow reckon with being back in the woods again. So if we accept that governments are not going to be consistent on this, we turn back to Canadians who must be asking what the exit strategy is. And if they don't have one, it's bad. If they have one and aren't telling you, that is just as bad. There's no excuse. If there's a, well, we, we can't know, it's like, well, that means you're a passenger. That means you're a passenger. It means you don't actually know what you're doing. You're not in the driver's seat of this. Something Irvin Student mentioned on the show the other day stood out to me, which is that the virus is not in charge. People have autonomy. Political leaders have autonomy. They get to make their choices. When we come back, we'll talk to Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown here on The Andrew Lawton Show. Stay tuned.
0: You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show.
1: Welcome back to the Andrew Lawton Show on True North. I've had a lot of more critical things to say about politicians. I was going to say in the last show, but it's really been the last two years. But I always try to give credit where it's due. And there's been in Ontario one mayor who's been standing up and, and speaking out in very clear terms about a lot of the lockdowns. And, and certainly even a couple of weeks ago when the Omicron panic I mentioned in the previous segment started up, he started to say, well, well hang on. I mean, yes, we have to be cautious, but the science and the numbers are not supporting this idea of panic, this knee-jerk reaction. They're certainly not supporting the idea that we have to start closing everything down again. He's been a very good advocate for his constituents, and I'd say for Canadians at large, about being able to stay open and, and get back to normal through the pandemic. And that is Brampton, Ontario Mayor Patrick Brown, formerly the leader of the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party. Patrick, it's good to talk to you again. Thanks very much for coming on today.
3: Yeah, great to join you
1: today. Now, I think generally speaking, if we go back to the very beginning of the pandemic, we had a fairly unified approach between... Federal leaders, provincial leaders, municipal leaders, everyone wanted to work together, cooperate, and, and get through this. But but the longer it's gone on, we, we've started to see, uh, certainly uh, among Canadians, a great deal of frustration w- with how some of the public uh, health guidance and advice has come down. And I know you actually were, were one of the more vocal ones a, a few weeks back when, in the Omicron wave, we saw there was a, a pretty big gap between, on one hand, the, this level of panic that we tended to be getting from some people and the story that that was actually taking place on the ground, specifically in hospitalizations and in in case counts. A lot of people uh, are starting to talk more about it now, this distinction of of being in hospital because of COVID and with COVID. But you actually got a fair bit of pushback when you made what was a fairly obvious point, I thought.
3: Well, I think in the beginning of the crisis, everyone was unified because we didn't know what we were dealing with. Um, And when, when faced with adversity, Canadians rallied together. But as we've learned more about this uh, virus, you know, we have to adapt based on knowledge. I've always said, follow the science, follow the data, be as transparent as possible and don't treat the public like children, tell them the unvarnished truth. And you know, where there's times I've been frustrated is where I feel we're trying to spin a narrative and not give the full picture. An example of the hospitalizations um, for me it was something that I felt that I needed to push out there because it wasn't being included in, in the media narrative. It, I, I found out just through my own briefings, and I get briefed every week by the, the hospitals here locally, that half the COVID cases in the hospital were incidental. So if someone went to the hospital with a broken arm, had no symptoms, weren't being treated by COVID, they were counting in the COVID numbers and the covid numbers were being used the covid hospitalization numbers were being used as a justification for lockdowns and i just felt this was was dishonest it was disingenuous and then i found out that it wasn't just my local hospitals that had incidental covid as 50% of the hospitalized cases it was it was at a similar level in every other hospital i spoke to and you know i have to give premier Ford uh, credit Uh, when I put this out there and made this request that they be reported accurately literally within a day the health minister and the premier uh, responded and said that they would correct the reporting and as of now they've they've done that Uh, we we now get a more accurate picture but for the, the the lockdown crowd that wants to continue justifying lockdowns they this was uh, what I was suggesting was was treason. How, how dare you give the public the truth? How 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 dare you give the public the unvarnished uh, truth? Uh, I just really believe, Andrew, if you want to instill confidence in government institutions, you can't spin them. You can't spin the public. Just tell them the truth. And, and if you give them the truth and you have to make a tough call, they'll understand and appreciate it. I, I think when you see more people get skeptical is when you try to spin them and, and, and alter, um, the reality of the picture.
1: Yeah. I think one big example of that is earlier on when, and I don't mean at the very beginning, I I mean, just, as recently as a year ago when when even on some outdoor recreation and outdoor gatherings which we know are are very very safe were, were being uh, clamped down and i know this has been a big thing for you personally i know you're a, you're a very active person you you were a big fan of hockey and, and all these other sports and, and again we, we had people that were being told that they weren't allowed to uh, to gather outdoors to do things that are fairly safe and and certainly i think there's been a bit more of a trend towards opening up on that but a lot of Canadians i, I think just tuned out advice when it just wasn't aligning with what we knew was safe in other ways.
3: Well, let me give you an example. And, and as you know, I spoke against this last spring, but last spring mm-hmm. when the government announced they were closing play playgrounds, outdoor recreation, I went to my medical officer of health who was very cautious. I went to the top infectious disease doctors who are very cautious. And I said, has this been recommended to the provincial government? And they said, no. And I said, is there any science or data that supports this? And they said, no. And that made me feel that at the time, those announcements were really based on PR. The public was worried, so let's do something to make them less worried. But but that's not leadership. It's it, it, leadership is not making a uh, an announcement for the sake of, of PR. It has to be grounded on principle and conviction and data and science. And there was no reason to shut down outdoor recreation. You know, Andrew, let me give you an example. You know, I love tennis. In tennis, you're 76 feet apart. At one point last year, we we shut down tennis. Can you imagine the unlikelihood of transmitting COVID 76 feet apart outdoors? It's absurd. And and for kids who already had to be out of school, um, they weren't getting fresh air. Recreation was closed. They weren't getting exercise, which is integral to their, you know, physical wellness, to being told they couldn't even go to the playground. It was preposterous. And, you know, in that case, As much as the government made a mistake, I have to give them credit with this pushback they heard from physicians and and public servants like myself, they corrected course. And I much prefer a government that's willing to admit they made a mistake and correct course than a government that will stubbornly follow the same course.
1: So let's talk about where we are now, because obviously regions have some level of autonomy, but most of the the overarching restrictions and and measures are being driven by the province. And and in that sense, any municipality in the province uh, is on that train as well. Where would you like to see things now or in the coming weeks? Because we know that we are moving towards some lifting of restrictions, but uh, the vaccine passport was supposed to be gone in January and that as of now remains in place. Uh, Mask mandates, again, we had earlier, uh, I think months ago, heard that they could be lifted as soon as March. I don't know if that's going to happen. Where do you think we should be headed right now on that roadmap to reopening?
3: I think if you look around the world, um, economies are reopening. It's time we reopen in Ontario. And Andrew, there are real stories. I get a phone call every few days from a business that's struggling to stay afloat. I just got a call last night from a very popular gym in Brampton, um, small business, and they're going under. And, you know, I think of the consequence for the community in that area of the city where there's no other, you know, gym, we're going to lose a level of physical wellness, there are restaurants that have gone under this isn't just a health pandemic it's an economic tidal wave. And I don't support the continuation of lockdowns. Um, The data and the science doesn't support it. We've had two years to build capacity to handle the increase in COVID cases. And even during this Omicron wave, which was intense, there was a lot more cases, our ICU capacity wasn't threatened. It wasn't threatened. And, you know, I, I, I just feel that we're missing the bigger picture. You know, we are having extreme broad-based lockdowns. Um, and, you know, it's, it's like putting a, a cast on a, a leg for someone that has um, a, a, a small cut—you uh, know—you could have put a bandage on that uh, on, on that cut. And uh, I, I think we're missing. There are huge repercussions in our society. Um, we're going to lose businesses and jobs. There's a mental health and an economic consequence to that. In terms of closing recreation, you know, one of our greatest challenges is rising rates of obesity. Um, cardiac issues, we're gonna contribute to that. I I actually think there is a consequence to public health by lockdowns that are too harsh. And so if it was up to me and and I've shared this advice, uh, you know, I I wanna give the premier credit because he is one of the most accessible um, premiers that I've dealt with premiers for a while and I've been elected for since 2000. You can pick up the phone, you can talk to Doug Ford, And I've had some very direct conversations with him uh, about this. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I just really believe that there's no justific- justification to continue these lockdowns, and, and I believe um, I believe they're going to make some movement. I, I I just hope it's not small tinkering around the edges that we're actually going to see these these restrictions lifted.
1: When we're talking about restrictions, I, I want to make clear I understand your your point here. Obviously, you, you'd have kids in school and you wouldn't have uh, lockdowns on businesses. But things like the mask mandate and the vaccine passport, do you think those could be lifted right now safely as well?
3: Yeah, I, I think we're getting to that point. Let me, let me touch upon each of these. One, on uh, schools, we've lost more school days than any other jurisdiction in North on, North America. There's no justification for losing more school days. Um, In terms of closing businesses and recreation, I think it's time to reopen them. I think we can do so safely. In terms of of masks, um, I do believe that, you know, indoors, um, that masks can be useful tools to help uh, limit transmission. But with everything, there needs to be a level of reasonableness. You know, I'll put a photo of myself outdoors and someone will say, why are you not wearing a mask? It's because I'm outdoors, Um, you know. Andrew, I have uh, two children and my son is two and a half years old, Theodore, and I signed him up for uh, a soccer lessons, little kickers. And I got a note um, from the organizers that um, the provincial requirements are, were that they had to wear a mask. It is impossible to have a two-year-old wear a mask. It is impossible. And so that's why I say there needs to be a level of, of reasonableness uh, and where it's appropriate um, that, that wearing a mask can limit transmission, do so. But where it doesn't make sense, there needs to be that level of, of reasonableness.
1: And talking about the business impact here, because I, I know that one thing that you have always done very well in the, the years that I've known you is try to have relationships with as many different people as possible. I think one time I, I had a, a meeting with you and you had, uh, you know, just become from like, you know, 17 and you probably had like 20 more in the rest of the day or something like that. But the reality is businesses are hugely, hugely suffering. You've touched on it earlier with the lockdowns and also I think the unpredictability of it. And I know there are, have been a number of restaurants that just personally that I've been to in, in in the past couple of years, that they made it through lockdown one, then some closed down in lockdown two. Some made it through that and and closed down in, in lockdown three. So just in in Brampton and in Peel region, what what's the story here? I mean, what's happening with these businesses?
3: You know, people have uh, gone into their savings. Uh, they have uh, gone into debt, and there's a huge consequence. We are lo- every lockdown, we lose businesses. People have lost their life savings. Um, there's a huge toll. You can't underestimate that toll. Uh, And businesses that thought they could handle one lockdown struggled on on the second. Um, Every wave gets harder. And this this last wave of lockdowns has been um, devastating. We've lost businesses. People have lost jobs. Uh, There'll be people that are on unemployment uh, because of uh, these lockdowns. So
1: let me just ask you here, because obviously in a, in a parallel universe, it could have been you as premier right now, and I don't want to rehash that. Uh, uh, that I know, I know you've had to do that as well. But just looking forward, I mean, you're in Brampton, you're doing a lot of work there. I see your updates all the time. Is jumping to federal or provincial politics still something you're open to?
3: I'm very happy in in Brampton, and you know what I've learned in life is that God has a reason for everything, and I look back to to 2018 at the time, um, you know, I I certainly didn't understand um, some of the false accusations that I had to go through. But, you know, everything, you know, honestly has has worked out for me. Uh, Personally, I've got two beautiful children, I got married. um, And, you know, the beauty of being a parent almost makes anything else you do um, trivial. Uh, And so I love my responsibility as as being mayor of, of Brampton. Uh, my wife loves the fact that I'm in the same city every night. Um, you mentioned I used to go to thirty events a, a day uh, across the province. Uh, uh, that's not, um, you know, you you can't do that and be a, a present, active parent. That I love, um, and I love that responsibility. And so, um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm loving my my current task uh, in in Brampton and not looking for a career change. I want to make uh, Brampton the best that it can be. I, I want to make us an example for other municipalities. And I would note on that note, Andrew, um, we are the only big city in Canada that has run four consecutive tax freezes. Um, and we're, we're we're doing a lot of incredible work. Um, we're thinking outside of the box. and uh, And I'm proud of the example that we're setting in Brampton. I just got
1: my property tax bill. So I might start looking up places in Brampton if you keep up that record.
3: Well, we want to encourage people. Brampton's open. Brampton is open for, uh, for every investment, every, every resident. And uh, um, we're, we're, we're trying to, sh- you know, I think on a lot of issues, actually, it's been interesting in Brampton, we've really um, started a conversation. and We started, you know, on property taxation, we're challenging the orthodox of how municipalities approach property taxes. Everyone said you can't freeze taxes. We ran value for money audits, and we have. on on some important provincial and federal conversations, I think we're leading the charge. You know, I lead a community that is probably the most diverse um, in Canada, over 70% visible minorities, a mosaic of faiths. And we've led a campaign across the country on challenging Bill 21, which is an attack on religious freedom. And so, you know, I look at some of the exciting work that that I get embark upon here in Brampton, and I feel very fortunate to be able to really uh, dive into these issues. And so, you know, I uh, I love being in Brampton and um, there's there's a lot of rewarding work you can do on the municipal level.
1: Good, good. Well, I appreciate you joining to uh, share about some of that work and and also some of the bigger picture things affecting uh, people in communities across the province and also the country. Uh, Patrick Brown, Mayor of Brampton. Thanks so much, Patrick. Always a pleasure. My pleasure. That was Patrick Brown. Always, I've no, Like I said, I've known Patrick for many years. hadn't had him on this version of the show, so it was good to have Patrick here. And that does it for us for today. We will be back next week with more of Canada's Most Irreverent Talk Show. We'll try to get back on a regular schedule for you, but it's a podcast. It's not appointment listening. You listen whenever you want. Some people maybe binge through them on the weekend. I am going to say, though, if you value the content we're putting out, please do consider donating, whether you want to join one of our monthly clubs or just uh, chip in a few bucks as a one-time donation. It truly does go a long way. I've been checking my mailbox every day. I'm not getting any of Justin Trudeau's $600 million. Uh, So the money that we get comes from people like you that actually value the work that we're doing. I I can't get you a tax refund on CBC. You're still going to have to pay them. But if you want to counteract it, you can throw a few dollars our way. Uh, With that, we'll talk to you next week. Thank
0: you. God bless and good day to you all.